I'm Matt Brownell. And I'm Van Owens. And I'm Tim Adams. Welcome to Climbing the Mountain, where we dive into the scriptures and discuss themes, connections, and real-life application. We're kicking off a series here where we're going to examine the Sermon on the Mount and discuss implications for this teaching for Christians today. It's my great pleasure to introduce Jim Garten to our listeners. First and foremost, Jim is one of our good friends. Jim is a teacher in our church and loves the Sermon on the Mount. However, what excites me most about Jim joining us is what he brings to this discussion. He's uh, really passionate about ancient societies. And as we have observed already, it's really important to consider how Jesus's hearers took his words. Jim is also a great questioner. So we're going to turn it over to him to lead this discussion on perhaps one of the most pressing issues of our day, God and money. Contrary to what you may have heard, greed is not good. Well, thank you, Matt, for the very nice introduction. Uh, I am a I don't know, great questioner, but I am a questioner, and so I always tend to ask why. I ask, what is this getting at? And I do have an interest in ancient societies because I want to understand the world that these people lived in, not just what this mean, sounds like it means to me, but I want to know what it means to them and what it means in their world. Um, so that's one of my big passions. This comes uh, at the beginning of the ministry, of Jesus's ministry. We don't know if this was several sermons mashed together, but the way Matthew writes it, it's really at the beginning of what Jesus was doing. And so it feels like and reads like it's setting the stage for the rest of his ministry. And Matthew makes a decision to put this here and whether this was the you know the combination where he said it when he said it why Matthew made that I'm going to let you wrestle with that because I to be very honest I don't have a great answer for that and he's talked about a lot in the sermon on the mount he's talked about giving to the needy our righteous acts not being done for the purpose of being seen by others and a little snippet of how to pray he's also talked about loving your enemies which I know you guys did a lot of podcasts on. He's talked about revenge. He's talked about reconciliation. He's talked about a lot of difficult, challenging things so far that that don't just challenge our actions, they challenge our hearts, and they challenge how we view God and how we view the world. And so now he goes into one, one thing that I always find challenging, and just to be very upfront about this, we're going to talk about God and money, I am currently applying to grad school. Uh, One of the reasons I'm applying to grad school is because it's a better financial situation if I have the graduate degree than if I don't. And, and And I think this is a very hard thing to talk about because we don't have the choice to not engage it. We have to engage this on some degree. We can't just go off into the wilderness and ignore money. Money is something we have to engage with. We don't have a choice to to skip out on it. And so we're going to talk a little bit about God and money and how does that work um, and how not straightforward that can be in the society we live in that absolutely unequivocally worships wealth yeah. and stuff. And so he goes to into three sections here. There's three sections here. There's the 
do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. Then there's the eyes, the lamp of the body. And then there's the no one can serve two masters. So we're going to read this and then we're going to kind of go section by section. It says, do not store up for yourselves in Matthew chapter six and verse 14. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So we're going to go section by section. We have some questions. We're going to start with the first section. Uh, when we consider the idea of treasures on earth versus treasures in heaven, how would the people sitting and listening to the sermon have taken that? Specifically, how would some of the different uh, views within Judaism have taken that? have understood that and heard that. I'm talking things, Herodians, Pharisees, um, just a quick definition for any of our listeners who may not know. Herodians were Jews who accepted Greek culture and kind of tried to straddle the world of Judaism and Greek Hellenism, which was money, which looks suspiciously like America does. And the Pharisees went off on their own to be devoted to the word of God and to knowing the word of God and to walking it out. That's probably an overly simplistic explanation, but that's sort of the bucket you can put them in. So how would they have taken it? I might perpetuate some stereotypes here with my response. I don't know, <laughs> but because uh, I'm sure there were some soft and hard-hearted people in each of these groups, you know, when they heard uh, Jesus but if, in general, I'd say if, uh, you know, if, uh, I bet a Herodian or I'd say a Sadducee, for that matter, would, would have been uh, either deeply disturbed or maybe uh, dismissive. I don't know. It's uh, hard to know. Like, I'd, I'd mm. say they were probably hard-hearted or deaf to Jesus's words on this matter. I, I think they probably would have tuned him out or maybe sought to discredit him um, and therefore discredit what he was saying. Um, I think you were mentioning that they were entrenched in the world. They, they benefited from creature comforts. So, uh, you know, all, all the, of all the people in Jesus society, we're, you're right. We're probably closest to them with our whole consumeristic culture. Um, the thing that I'm reminded about is, uh, I was thinking about the church in Laodicea when Jesus, uh, you know, the, the, the words that were spoken to them. You say, I'm rich. I have acquired wealth. I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Mm. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, speaks to them, but I think it speaks to our society too. Yeah. I, I, um, I'd be really curious, Jim, like how you would think each of these people have heard this because it's not something I'm super familiar with. But I just thought about in the passage in um, Matthew 19 where we're seeing the rich young ruler and Jesus is talking about it's more difficult for a rich man for a camel go through I have a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven 
and the disciples are like shocked, right? Because they assume, I think like most of the culture um, at some way that there's a link between, you know, if I have a lot of wealth, then I've been blessed, right? And so the fact that we're not supposed to store up treasures on earth, I think would just be, sound strange to most people because like, well, haven't, am I, aren't I doing something right? Right. Mm-hmm. If I have um, this material blessing, that's a good point. There, there was a, I, I, as my understanding is there was an idea within Judaism that if you were wealthy, you were blessed. Mm-hmm. How prevalent mm-hmm. that idea was amongst the disciples and their kind of different ways of seeing the world is an open question that right. we we don't we probably don't have a good answer to. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've I've heard some people uh, talk about blessed are the poor in spirit, uh, but then they just say, blessed are the poor. So if you, to speaking to that, if you, if you've got great wealth, Oh God has blessed me. Well, are you sure it's a blessing <laughs> that do, yeah. I don't know? Yeah. But in the old Testament, like there's a ton of examples of God materially blessing people. And that's mm. like the, that's part of the like divine promise, you know, in the covenant, um, that God's going to take care of his people. So, so I would even question our view of that is, is God blessing them with abundance or is he blessing them with enough? Mm-hmm. Is the blessing that God provides you with just enough or is it that God provides us with far more than we could ever hope for materially? Mm. And, and if you were blessed in such a way in that society, would you also be... Would you have a lot of people that worked for you that you would be providing for at the same time? And so you're blessing, but you're also giving out? I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, That's Yeah, I think that. Well, so my first thought about Herodians, Pharisees, Sadducees, um, and I had to refresh myself on who those different groups of people were. And the thing that they had in common was that they were all religious, right? And I think that... As a person who's been religious for a long time, <laughs> there is a tendency when something hits you from the Bible or something hits you from a sermon, there is a tendency when you've got sort of um, solidified religion in your soul. And I don't mean religion in a good sense because there's a good sense and a, and a bad sense that the first thing I can do is to say, boy, that's a good passage for Jim because <laughs> I think he's got some issues. Yeah, yeah. Or, boy, this is a good passage for me to share with so-and-so right. because he's got – so my tendency can be the first thing I can think – if I'm a Pharisee, the first thing I can think is, yeah, that's those Herodians. They have a problem with this. Yeah. I don't. I'm cool. But – this is a good Jesus. Can yeah. you talk to them? Yeah. And the Herodians are thinking the same. Yeah. Talk to those Sadducees. They're the ones in charge of the temple and they're the ones who've got all the temple treasury and they're the ones who are abusing that money. And right. they're the ones who are living off the fat of the land from all these poor people who are contributing to them all the time. This is for them and to, 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 uh, to rebuff it mm-hmm. by putting it on someone else. Yeah. That's a good point. So, so to just to get back to what Tim's question was, and, and my my own personal thought is, if a Herodian heard, if a good-hearted Herodian heard this, they would be wincing in the crowd, like, oh, I, I and and they would see that, yeah, I'm proud, 
I would like to think they would see I'm probably doing that. And if a bad-hearted Herodian heard this, they'd probably do some sort of mental gymnastics to explain it away, which I'm sure none of us have ever done any <laughs> mental gymnastics to explain things away. Jesus says... I have um, a gold medal in mental gymnastics. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not smart enough for that. Um, I, I actually think the Pharisees, and this is a thing that uh, at least a couple of you and I have discussed at different points. If we take the Pharisees as a group, which is not totally fair, I know, but we have to talk in general terms to ever have a discussion. The Pharisees were actually pretty good at denying their at denying the pursuit of wealth. If you take them as a big picture, they didn't they didn't have ornate houses, they didn't have extra stuff. They really did in a lot of ways devote themselves to the text and to walking it out. And I I think most Pharisees would hear this and say, Yeah, I'm with that. Mm-hmm. I'm for don't store up treasures in heaven or don't store up treasures on earth. Store up treasures in heaven. Don't don't pursue wealth this side of eternity. I think the Pharisees might have been figuratively standing up and clapping here and and would be that a lot of them would be totally with Jesus. Now there were also I'm sure there were some Pharisees who were working with the Sadducees who had the temple treasury and who greatly benefited from materially from this. But I, so I, I think what G, what I what I think is so challenging about this is that there's different ways that people can take this, even within the same faith tradition. You know, you have Jews and you have different Jews are going to hear this different ways. Um, a zealot would probably hear this and go, yeah, you can't store up treasure on earth. I have no treasure on earth. Um, now, the zealot would have been challenged by some other things that happened early, that he said earlier in the sermon. Um, what, what do we do with that information? Well, um, I I was kind of thinking, um, I don't know, I, something you said about the Pharisees I wanted to, to react to because I, I feel like you're probably right there, and maybe I could, if I could lump the Essenes in there too, because they were another group at the time. I feel like what you and what Van were saying about, um, I think it speaks to us today too, because anyone who's been religious <laughs> could have that trap of falling into that mindset of saying that this is, uh, yeah, really good, and point your finger at, at everyone else that needs to repent. And I could see, you know, the Essenes, they were they were an apocalyptic sect of Judaism and they went off and, you know, uh, abandoned the corrupt, uh, temple in Jerusalem. The Pharisees, I think were a little more interesting because they didn't go off somewhere else. And, uh, they tried to bring that to the people. Um, but they also, I think wanted to be gatekeepers. And that's, that's something that I think in, in each of our hearts, our sinful nature wants to be the one who's in control somehow. And, feel good about myself and I've got all these rules and I, I know we don't see totally eye to eye on the Pharisees. I, I really, I appreciate everything they did. I mean, we owe a ton to them for how the synagogue system was set up and, uh, Paul, you know, Hey, he's wrote a lot of most of the new Testament. I think you, you end up with, uh, probably some of the pillars of the early church being former Pharisees who repented. Uh, but, I think it's really interesting at the same time that Jesus, uh, his ministry was in the epicenter of their their work because I think the other thing about them is that they're 
they're kind of the pinnacle of um, the way I view them as uh, relying on their own strength, like doing their own thing, which is kind of a lot of what the Old Testament was. Uh, we're going to do this. And then uh, the New Testament, I think, is marked by the Holy Spirit and about uh, reliance on God turning to him. And so I think there's there's something about that in all of this that I, I think rings is a through line in the, these passages. Yeah, that and I Matt, I think your your idea of not relying on self and I and this is where I think there it's an open question. Sorry, there's a lot of open questions in this. Like any Jesus, like any good Jewish rabbi, gives you a lot more questions than he gives you answers. Um, so they're open for us to wrestle with. I I don't know how well formed a concept of like relying on God and certainly the Holy Spirit was at the time Jesus was saying this. So I I, I don't want to like count the fact that the Pharisees were um, not relying on the Holy Spirit prior to Jesus against them, uh, but I can certainly see where you're coming from of they sort of acted as gatekeepers and they they certainly were not good at remembering the outcasts, the people that God, that, that was not their strength. They did a pretty good job walking out the text for them. They didn't necessarily do a great job, um, including the marginalized, including yeah. the people who didn't traditionally fit mm. into God's, you know, the thing they thought God was doing. Like when I when I was reading this, I was thinking they were probably defensive because the pre- preceding passage seems like a lot of stuff that they, you know prayed in public and gave and people knew about it and all that kind of stuff. Uh, they probably were the ones saying, oh, you know, this, this isn't me, of course, because, uh, you know, I give a tenth even of my spices. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Everyone knows that. Mm-hmm. But I, 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 st- I do think when they heard this, they might have been like, oh, okay, I can get, I can get behind that. If I was, a f- I'm trying to put myself in the headspace of a Pharisee listening to this. I probably would have thought I can get behind what he's saying here. Um, so we're going to try to move on a little <laughs> bit because we got a lot of questions can, to get through. Can I? Can I not move on for just a second? Sure, you cannot move on. I have one scripture to read too. This is yeah. how Matt and I talk on a normal basis. I know. I I go off in a million directions. Uh, but you did ask what's the what's the big picture here, right? I mean, I think. I think that's worth spending a second to think about too. And um, I, I think the bigger point Jesus is making is about our heart and what we treasure. So, and, and I just want to bring out one little thing about the translation here. It, it's fine to use store up uh, treasures, but it's missing uh, the word play. Jesus is actually using a different form of the same word. A better way to put it might be quit treasuring earthly treasures mm-hmm. begin treasuring heavenly treasures and then i think you know verses 21 and 24 which we'll we'll talk about that i think they unlock the rest of this for me but i i think what jesus does is he pits the focus of our heart's desire as a struggle between looking to god or the world and money is that that thread through all of it because it i mean ostensibly you can buy anything with money any earthly treasure Mm-hmm. Yeah, M- money does solve a lot of problems in the wor- in our world. Mm-hmm. More money does it solves some stuff for you. 
And I like, and I, and Tim, I want you to definitely read your scripture, but I just want to say one little thing about your note about the translation, uh, Matt, is that I think it is important to think of treasure as a verb in this sense, because what you treasure, um, does not, does, has nothing to do with how much money you have or how much money you make. And Jesus's concern is not necessarily the fact that you have money. He's not saying don't have money. He's saying don't treasure things that don't last forever. Mm. And uh, so I think that that's a, that's a really important point um, for me when I read these passages about not just this one, but any passage usually about money is what's your attitude towards it. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. Um, I'm just looking at the parallel passage in Luke 16, um, where I mean, there's a couple places in Luke, but this one is so verse 13 and 14. So it says, no one can serve two masters. Either you hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And then it gives um, a response. It said, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering oh. at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Mm. Uh-oh, so, Jim. <laughs> I mean, it's, it doesn't it's, say all the Pharisees loved money. All, it, it doesn't say the all ones the who loved money. Yeah. The ones that, that was the point I was going to make. Um, but I, I did, I did think about that while we were talking. Um, mm-hmm. And, that last line, I think, gets at what you just said, Van. Um, what people value highly is det- detestable in God's sight. There's a mismatch mm-hmm. yeah. in our, um, wow. in detestable. our values and what we treasure. Um, that is extremely different than what God actually values. Mm. Yeah. And as soon as you, as soon as you um, start to start to put yourself in a tribe, as soon as you say, "I'm a Pharisee," then you you develop this kind of uh, tribal devotion to being that. Hmm. And then that can, if you're not careful, shield you from your own weaknesses, hmm. the weaknesses of the group. And the fact of the matter is there were Pharisees and Sadducees and Essenes and Herodians and everybody, and there was greed and uh, love of money in all of those groups, no matter what their standard was. And uh, and I think that what Jesus is talking about here, and I, I really appreciate you bringing that scripture up, Tim, is because what Jesus is talking about here is um, your heart. What What is in your heart? What are you cherishing in your heart? What are you treasuring? And... Uh, and he's addressing the fact that you cannot treasure what you cannot keep forever. Hmm. And that's and that's a great way to kind of wrap this episode up is that is two things. What we cherish on this earth we can't keep forever. Hmm. And we're called to value, to change the way we think, to value what God values. And, and that's not an easy equation. And and I think for the rest of our discussion, one thing I just I want to go back to what Tim said. It says the Pharisees loved money, and while in my opinion the Pharisees were generally thirty thousand foot good at denying wealth, at not pursuing wealth, it also shows that we can't view them as a monolith. Mm-hmm. That they're not 
just because the Pharisees as a group were not that, and like Van said, that their strength as a group was that, that doesn't mean that the some particular Pharisees weren't didn't have some weaknesses in those areas. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully next podcast, we're going to start talking a little bit more about some of the ways we do this and some of the pitfalls uh, of money and stuff and wealth and, and all of that. But I really appreciate what you guys had to say. Really good thought-provoking stuff. And we're going to continue this discussion in the next pod. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. <laughs> <laughs>